0: This episode of the Adventure Jogger podcast brought to you by Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner, Sean Humphrey, John Harden, Rebecca Joyner, Marjorie Lewis, Shannon Howell, and all of our Patreon supporters and listeners. <laughs> The adventure jogger a podcast about trail and ultra running meet fascinating runners from the front middle and back of the pack sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running running should be fun and so should running podcasts i'm your host ryan Pluckelman, and this is the adventure jogger okay we say inspiring and funny stories in the introduction to the podcast And do I have an inspiring story for you today on the Adventure Jogger? You are going to meet a runner from Dallas, Texas. Her name is Brandy Ray. And I was tipped off to Brandy's story by a post that she made in Trail and Ultra Running, that group on on Facebook. It was a side-by-side photo. The first photo on the left-hand side was a mugshot of Brandy from, from 2012. And the next picture was 10 years later. It was her pre-race photo at the burning river 100 from meth addiction and time in prison to running hundred milers. And I knew there would be an interesting story in that. And I think a lot of ultra runners have been at some point dealing with addiction, but Brandy's incredible story. And you are in for a treat from absolute rock bottom multiple times to a life transformation that would lead to just ultra running would be I mean she excels at the at the 100 mile distance she's done it 8 times now it's one of her favorite distances but I I know you are absolutely going to love and be inspired by Brandy's story on this episode of the adventure jogger all right brandy Thanks for joining us on the Adventure Jogger.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Ryan.
0: All right. Story from the start. Where'd you grow up?
1: So I grew up, I was born in Dallas and um, was pretty much raised in Garland, Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, Not much exciting thing, not too much (laughs) to say about Garland. (laughs) Um, I went to-
0: Where is Garland, Texas? For those of us that are not familiar with Texas, where's Garland?
1: So Garland is about 15 minutes east of downtown Dallas. Okay. Um, I lived in Garland, but I went to Mesquite, which is a different city, really close, schools. Yeah. So I went to Poteet High School. You know, I was in cheerleading. I was in uh, volleyball track. I was in all the sports and a competitive dancer. So that was me growing up. I was always busy, athletic. My brother and I both, we did kind of the same things. We were very athletic and very close family.
0: Okay, so, so what was your favorite sport? Of all the things you just mentioned, you mentioned a lot. What was the the thing that made you go like, okay, this is my passion?
1: So it's dance for sure. And I know that's not school related, but yeah. I, was, I was pretty much raised in a dance studio. So dancing is my absolute favorite. But as far as in school, I would say volleyball. I loved volleyball. Um, I think I would choose volleyball over all of it. Cheerleading was was awesome and great, and I was really good at it. The volleyball was my favorite.
0: It almost sounds like you were describing the perfect Texas childhood: cheerleading, dance <laughs> outside of Texas. I'm sure you had giant bangs, you know, rhinestones <laughs> everywhere. Kind of that ideal oh, for sure. Texas life. It's like an episode of Dallas
1: that's right yes you're right <laughs> that's exactly the picture <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you go through high school all all good and done you you get into the real world did you did you go to college after high school what happened after growing up in doing sports in high school
1: <clears throat> so i went to i started community college mm-hmm. um i did dallas county community college and collin county community college which is very close yeah um but before that or during that that's when I really started getting into the the lifestyle of being a professional addict <laughs> so that took over the college and you could just basically from there I was the college dropout <laughs> so so when did when
0: did it start cuz you like I said in the introduction you were addicted to meth for many many years how did mm-hmm.
1: what was the start
0: of of your addiction
1: I would say, I mean, in high school, you know, we did we we drank a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was, probably, I guess, se- junior senior year of high school. Definitely some drinking, and there was some, I guess, designer drugs we did here mm-hmm. and there just yeah. for fun. But it wasn't until I was twenty years old that I was working at a, a car dealership, actually, and I met this girl who worked in the parts department. Mm-hmm and she we became friends and she was a lot older than me and um on saturdays i would go and get get uh lunches for everybody at the dealership yeah and i would so anyway i went and did that one day and she's like "Stop by my house it was real real close to where i was picking up food so i stopped by her house and i went in there and her and her her husband and her husband's best friend were all snorting meth and like try this so i just tried it i never knew anything about it um and that's just where it started. So it started when I was twenty, and once I did that drug, it was it was over. I mean, I just I never stopped for fourteen years ever, unless I was locked up or in rehab or wow. something like that. So here you
0: here you have this this ideal Texas upbringing that we talked about with the the cheerleading, the big air, the dance, and all that stuff, and, and and a chance encounter with someone. At a mm-hmm. car dealership that you worked with, because <clears throat> I, but mm-hmm. the, doing the math, this really was before meth was something that everyone had heard about. At this point, it was still kind of, uh, you know, something that was a street drug that maybe people heard of, but it wasn't as well known as it is today.
1: Probably. There were okay. TV
0: shows made out of yeah. meth dealers at this point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yes. 14
0: years from, mm-hmm. from age 20 to age 34, mm-hmm. your life is, is what just going from one chasing one hit to the next. What was, what were those 14 years like?
1: So I ended up becoming the, the person who brought it to that house. We, I feel like, like he is definitely, I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about anybody. He's right. not somebody that you would see me marrying. Right. It was the drug took over and we became boyfriend and girlfriend. So right. I was with him for several years. Um, he had a, a wonderful personality, so many great things about him, but he was the man with this stuff. Yeah. And I was under the the influence yeah. <laughs> the whole yeah. time. And he, I mean, he was great because he, he raced motocross. I mean, we had a fun life. I mean, I, I always worked. I always had a, a great job. Um, until I would get so far off that I would somehow end up in jail. Um, we didn't last very long, maybe three or four years. Um, just, yeah, I mean, I I look back and I think I had, I had great jobs. I'd get clean for like a month and then I'd start feeling really, really good. And then you want to get back out there or you don't want to, it just, it pulls you back in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't really know I was a, a complete addict. Um, At the very beginning. So, yeah, it just kept progressively getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And um, I think the the turning point for me when I went from halfway decent to trash, I guess you could say at that point, is that I walked in on him one day and he was using a needle. And so he freaked out on me and I was like trying to calm him down. It's gonna be okay. We'll get through this. And yeah. he's eleven years older than me. He's older. And so anyway, 45 minutes later, he had a needle in my arm. I mean, of course, he didn't make me do that. So that was that was something I went through for about a year. Um, before I couldn't handle it. Because you go into psychosis, right. and that's where my life really went downhill. Oh my God.
0: So yeah. <laughs> take us to the, the moment. The first time you were arrested, what was what was that like? Cause you know you're you're just at this point in your 20s you got your whole life ahead of you you know you're going you're going from cheerleading and dance team and all of a sudden now you are in the back of a squad car what happened
1: so the first time i was arrested i wasn't even with him anymore i was with um this other guy from oak cliff and um they were driving my car I was in the back seat. We were driving around all night for hours. I was just probably high out of my mind, probably 21 or 22 years old at that point. And uh, they pulled up to a Coke machine and they're like, mm-hmm. are you ready? Are you ready? I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And Believe me, I'm not a perfect person. I am not an angel. I have, I will tell you when I know what's going on and when I do something wrong. Yeah. I had no idea. These two kids get out and they go and they start beating down a Coke machine out of all things. So the cops pull up on them and arrest them. And of course, I'm in the car and it's my car. And that's that's the first time I went to jail. So it was burglary of a coin-operated machine. How about that? <laughs>
0: Brandy, you are the first guest on the Adventure Jogger to be busted for <laughs> robbery of a coin-operated machine. You get that. in title. my back seat. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did they know? Did they test you or anything at that point? It wasn't a drug offense. They didn't keep you in. For no, a while. They and they, they even
1: they almost let me go. They're like, "What are you doing with these people? Who? Who? I mean, we know you from Potee High School. You were a cheerleader. I mean, yeah. I, we were in Mesquite when that happened, and that's where my high school was. And I just, I mean, I didn't even know what to say. They were, they let, they they put me in jail. But the one thing that they did give me is that I had two bags. Of cocaine in my um uh, my wallet yeah. and when my mom bonded me out of jail everything was still there so they never charged me for that
0: you had so two bags me- of cocaine in your wallet yeah. and the
1: cops never looked so for it they they didn't and that that never happened again so i got one freebie on that one wow. and um i don't know that was that was definitely Uh, I would say it was a life-changing moment, but it was just more, I guess, incentive for me to get back out and get back after it. So you do. (laughs)
0: That's sad. No, seriously, can you imagine if they would have found the cocaine on you, you wonder if that could have been a moment where change could have happened, because maybe you'd be forced to go to rehab or whatever, but due to whatever circumstances, it was never checked and you had cocaine in 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 a police station and able to get it in and out. So you get out that time, mm-hmm. and you know instead of the the wake up call, it's more of a okay. Well, I got I got away that's with exactly that. That's exactly right. Yeah. So yes. I, I can keep on going. What about the next time? What when were you busted the next time?
1: Ah, you know that's a, a really really good point. Meth is very very sneaky, and it mm-hmm. brings out a very very sneaky side to you. And I'm already kind of like that anyway. Yeah. So, I think what you're saying is something that is very, very true. I just, I don't remember. I mean, it was so long ago. I don't remember the next time I got in trouble. It it was, I've probably been arrested at least 10 times. I mean, I I don't know. Uh, Most of my charges are for possession. Yeah. And then a couple of them are for theft. I mean, walking into a Walmart, just this stupid, I mean, nothing I would ever do in my right mind. You know, so... Mm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No,
0: you're good. No, what what is it like doing time? I mean, here you are. At some point you don't you don't get let go and right. multiple times you are doing time in mm-hmm. jail. What what was that like?
1: So I spent lots of months in the Dallas County Jail in Luce Derrick multiple times. Mm. Thankfully, my family would bond me out, get me a lawyer, get me into rehab over and over and over. Um, and I went to a really, really good rehab in 2002, got out in 2003, lasted about six months. And in 2004, because I'm on probation at this time, yeah. I get um, I get another charge on top of my felony conviction. And so they take me down to TDC, which is Texas Department of Corrections. It's basically prison.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, it's... Um, I... To, I always made the best of it. Yeah, um, I'm a real friendly person, but I'm also a. I was very, you know, young. I had a very in shape body. A lot of people didn't like me. A lot of people loved me. So it was an interesting balance of not being too happy. Because I mean, I'm, I mean, of course, you're not happy to be in jail, but you make the best of it. You get sober. You start feeling good people either love you or they hate you. So, thankfully, the right people in jail always like me enough to protect mm-hmm.
0: me. <laughs> yeah, cuz especially like jail and prison, two different things. Jail, everybody's there for a short period of time. Prison, right. there are people that are spending years, decades right. in this place. Some of yes. the most violent people you'll you'll come in contact with. Mm-hmm. And for someone that sounds like yourself who's this loving friend of everybody. Mm-hmm. That has to be an intimidating place for you to be in where you don't know really what anybody else in prison is going to do. It's, it's an unpredictable group of people.
1: Well, you're right. And I had um, a lot of training before I went because I spent nine months in the county jail before I actually had to, they call it pulling chain. It's yeah. the prison term for moving down South yeah. to come pick you up. Um, I met this um they call her it's a stud so it's basically she's an african-american but the stud is a gay person has there have you ever heard of this
0: i have not grad? i've watched every okay. episode of orange is the new black but okay. this didn't come up in so the
1: show it yeah so stud so she was definitely the male in the gay uh i want to say this correctly <laughs> i want to um so she, basically she was a boy right okay but she was we became her name was twin she played the masculine be,
0: she was masculine the masculine person yes. in the relationship okay
1: we became really really good friends in the county jail and she knew that i was going to down south at some mm-hmm. point and so she trained me first of all we learned how to I learned how to play spades so we stayed up all night playing spades with other partners uh all night long and she just told me what to do and what not to do there and basically say to yourself Never, ever tell anybody how long you get, you know, your, your sentence, which yeah. I only had a three year sentence, so I wasn't going to be there long yeah. and I was never supposed to tell anybody that. And I didn't. Yeah. Um, so she helped me prepare myself mentally for it. And, uh, I mean, it all worked out. It, it, it's very interesting to be there. You have to learn to adapt to everything and everybody.
0: Yeah. in three years. I mean, mm-hmm. that just saying it now. That's a long, it's mm-hmm. over a thousand days. At some point, oh, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, I don't, you don't do the full three years. I think I did 15 months. Totally. Oh,
0: but even 15 but, months. But
1: still, yeah. Let's just say yeah.
0: 15 months. Again, they didn't get to that part and Orange is the New Black. Um, so <laughs> so f- 15 months even. Mm-hmm. Does it At some point, does the shock of it wear off and it turns into yeah. just the routine?
1: Yeah, it is. And the good thing about me is, well, everybody has to work in prison. You have to work, you have to do something. Um, And when you first get there, they put you, they just assign you a place. And I was some kind of janitorial services, which was, you never left the actual pod. So it was hard. Um, But I ended up getting a job working in commissary. Mm -hmm. So that was awesome because I always knew what kind of food we were going to have to sell to the inmates. Yeah. And I um, worked as like working at a grocery store. So that was, it was fun. I know I'm sounding, I'm smiling and I'm glorifying it. Like it was fun, but you have to make it, you have to, you learn to adapt, you become, you know, friends, you, you trade a lot of stuff and, um, You know, I I made it. I made it. So I did the best I could.
0: You are the first guest to make it through prison time on this (laughs) podcast. So just know you've got that (laughs) record as well. But I'm sure the nice thing about prison, too, is you didn't have access to drugs. You were kind of forced to be sober for for those 15 months.
1: Correct. Now, a lot of people get prescription drugs there Mm -hmm. and um, they sell them. I didn't ever, when I was clean, I was clean and I wanted to stay that way. So yeah. I didn't, didn't, my whole thing was I always had money on my books. So I would always have plenty of things. Well, if I wanted some bleach, I would buy them a thing of hot chocolate and trade hot chocolate for bleach so I could have all my stuff extremely clean. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So all that's true. I don't, I haven't seen oranges in the new black in a long time, but that was federal prison. They get way more fun stuff in federal prison than <laughs> regular prison.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so 15 months, serve it, your, your sentence is up. You get out and go back to the on world. Mm-hmm. You're on parole. I go back, mm-hmm. what, Was this 2007 at this point?
1: That was 2005. Okay. So 2005, when I got out on July 4, 2005 to 2007, I was on parole. And I did great. One thing about probation and parole is you um, you can drink, but they're just so much more lenient on parole. They yeah. want you to do good. On probation, it's a setup. That's yeah. how I look at it. Right. Unless you're going to be 100% like me now, then you can do probation. But if you mess up one little thing, they're going to put you back in jail. Mm-hmm. So two years, I did well. Um, I, of course, went out and I drank, of course, because drinking wasn't my problem. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we had this conversation before. So I'm surprised. I'm thankful that you read that because it was very important. Um, it was 2007. I had been clean for two years. I had just got off parole. And um, I went out, you know, I drank off and on throughout the, mm-hmm. the that time period. And there was just one night. It was actually before the, um, the Greenville Avenue 5K. It's a huge uh, St. Patrick's Day parade that they have here in Dallas on Greenville Avenue. And uh, a 5K with my brother, his soon to be wife and my mom. we were all going to go run the next day. I went out the night before, got drunk, so drunk that I ended up. That's when I ended up at the dope house yeah. because I didn't want to be like that. And I knew I had an obligation the next day. Right. So I went and did a line of speed and I, I got high and I never came down until it was that mugshot. <laughs> 2012, five so, full years.
0: 2000. And, and this is, you mean, two years. Think about this. You get out of prison for two years, your family has brandy back. The one that they that they know, you know, the, the the you know they think, okay, we're out of the woods yeah. here. We've got our we've got our sister, we've got our daughter, we've got brandy back. Mm-hmm. And the night before a race, it all goes south again, and you you are gone for five years. Yes. Five years of of, of chasing the next high, chasing the next high, and just I mean, that's a huge chunk of time when you think about that. So how did the, how did the five years end and how, what was the moment when you Brandy said like, okay, enough is enough. What was that turning point for you?
1: So definitely I got my run. I definitely uh, got my money's worth during that 14 years and kind of leading up to the, so for the people who don't know, he, um, R- Ryan found me by I did a post in the trail and ultra running. Yeah, um, my s- ten year mug shot from ten years ago, 2012, till a couple weeks ago. Right. Anyway, in that mug shot, so you know, I had been fighting with my boyfriend, my boyfriend at the time, mm-hmm. and um, I had just went to pick up a, a sack of dope. It was January. It was very cold, 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so tired. I was tired of fighting with him. I just got my truck out of the impound. I had an expedition. I'd been in there for a month because I let some girl borrow it and she left it somewhere. So it cost thousands of dollars. So I just got it out, been fighting, got a sack of dope. I had on some Under Armour gloves here in my, and I put the dope inside of my, my glove. Yeah. I pulled up to a Walmart and I was just, I was so, so tired. And I just remember looking up and saying, if you are real, please help me. And then I passed out. <laughs> and then I woke up to uh, a cop banging on my window. Yeah. And I was like, <gasps> you know, scared. Yeah. So he he asked me, "Ma'am, are you okay?" And I said, "Oh yeah, I'm fine." And he said, "Could you open the door and step out?" He he just said, "Could you open the door?" So I opened the door. He's like, "What's going on?" And I said, "I just... I'm sorry. I was fighting with my boyfriend. I passed out." And uh, and then he was looking around, and he he looks on my console, and you can see like crumbs of crystals you know yeah and he says what's that and i said i don't know i didn't he asked me to step out he starts looking around so he ends up arresting me Mm
2: -hmm.
1: puts me in the car i asked him for help so yeah (laughs) yeah um and just a side note years later i went and read the police report so what happened? how he got there is there was a lady who um who saw me over my steering wheel she thought i was dead and she was banging on my window and I didn't answer. Oh I was just God. really, really tired. I yeah.
2: wasn't,
1: you know, and so then they called the cops. So that was, that was, I think that was definitely a, a higher power thing. But, um, so am I going too fast?
0: No, you're, you're, you're doing fine. I, I promised Brandy beforehand, cause Brandy, you did tell me that sometimes you get a little nervous and you'll talk fast when you, you I, I'm the fastest talker on this podcast. So you're good to go. You are, you are great, Brandy. You're doing okay. Perfect.
1: <laughs> so this is a really good story too. And it makes, I'm sweating because every time I think about it, it makes me sweat. Um, so I, oh, here comes my phone. Uh, I, I'm sitting in the back. So he puts me in the cop car. Yeah. My hands are behind my back. They're searching my vehicle. I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to jail. So no, no big deal. Been, done this before. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> and then it dawns on me that I have a sack of dope in my hand, in my gloves. And I panic. There's nobody in the car with me, so I'm I know there's cameras, so I, yeah. you know, remember I'm out of my mind. I am not brandy at right. all. And I haven't been for 14 years. So I'm sitting there trying to pull this out and hide it somewhere and just do anything to get it out of my hand and I, I can't. So a different cop, a very young cop gets in the car and he's taking me to the Garland City Jail. And my car is going to get towed, and all that good stuff. So I'm just I'm thinking about this this sack of dope that I have as a sixteenth. It's like a hundred, to hundred and fifty dollars worth of, of dope. And uh, we get there, and of course um, we have a strip search. And I go into the um, the room with a lady. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, okay, you know, you know the routine. I was like, okay. Um. So my um smart self of me, I and I'm not going to go into complete detail, right. but. You can use your imagination imagination i um decided to right in front of her take off all my clothes and conceal this bag and uh and she sees everything that i do
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: and um <laughs> she says excuse me ma'am i need you to i need you to give me that now and i just i played stupid i told her i didn't know what she was talking about and she says listen i'm gonna give you another chance if you don't give that back I'm going to go tell the sheriffs. So I didn't. And the next thing I know, I'm in the hospital and they got their stuff. I got out. It was the most traumatic experience of my life.
0: Really? Because <laughs> up until this point, you'd been in and out of jail. You'd gone to prison. You knew what the routine was. But yeah. this arrest where you people can use their imaginations, where you hit that baggie, um,
2: oh,
0: and she you
1: saw it ask me what my rock bottom is and it, or what my birthstone is, and I'll tell you it's rock bottom. I have had so many rock bottoms in my life. Yeah. And that, that wasn't even my worst rock bottom, but that was the most traumatic experience that I have ever been through in my life.
0: So at that point, Brandy, was it that moment when now you're in the hospital and you're you're being you know, prodded and worked work, on? Right, worked on to find these drugs you've hidden and it's got to be terrifying. You had no clothes on. You're just, they're, they're, it's, it's got to be crazy. Was that the moment when you were like, this has got to stop?
1: It was, it was part of the process. Yeah. Definitely. I have this cop next to me going, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Why are you doing this to me? And I, are you kidding me? I mean, it was, it was very bad. <laughs> so, um, it, definitely. Yes. That was part of the process. So, get out of the hospital. I go back to Garland city jail. They booked me in mm-hmm. of course. And, um, Dallas County, Lou Derek picks, picks, they pick up their, their County people pretty quick. Yeah. So they came to get me and they booked me in and that's where the picture was taken. So I had just gone through that whole thing. And, um, yeah. So,
0: wow. So how long, how long were you stuck in jail that time?
1: So I was there for four months. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, My uh, my judge, which is Judge Caruso, he's a great judge. He gave me two options. He says, I'm going to give you the option to do your own time. You'll do day for day. You'll get out. You'll be on no probation, no mm-hmm. papers when you get out. Yeah. But you'll do every single day. Or I'm going to give you the option of going to prison also. But it's a substance abuse facility um, that usually is a, it's a two-year process. So. Mm-hmm. You need rehab. This is what I'm recommending, but you have this option. Well, I chose day for day. I didn't want to go back to rehab. I wanted to do my time and get out. Yeah. And then I gave that to him and he said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you this option. You need help. We're taking you to safe P. You're going back to prison. Yeah. You're going to be locked up for the next two years, but I believe in my heart this is going to help you. So I was very, very upset. Um, I didn't sign my papers that day. Um, but I had another week to, to wait. Yeah. And so, you know, of course I'm in the County jail. I'd been there for almost four months. I called my mom the night before I went back to court and I, and I just, one more plea. Can you, and it was a, my mom and my dad and my brother yeah. were a family. Of course he's married now to Lauren has his family and she was, of course she was there part of it, but I begged her to please give me one more chance and bond me out of jail. It was a $50,000 bond. I had money. It wasn't about the money. Right. You know, she, I think in her heart, she really wanted to bond me out, but my dad and my brother, they, they weren't having it. You know, this has been going on too long. right? She needs this, yeah. you know? So, um, you know, I was upset, crying, blah, blah, blah. The next morning they, they pull you out. When they pull you out when you're in the County jail to go to, to go to court. It's like an eight-hour deal. So they get you up at like 2 a.m. They throw you in a holdover cell. It's 50 below zero in there. You've got other crackheads, heroin addicts, throwing up, making all these nasty noises. They stink. It is the most horrific experience ever just to go see a judge.
0: Little did you so know I, that would prepare you for ultra running and aid stations and after mile ah. sixty. Little did you know that that would come back hey, to you later in life.
1: The porta potties are the Ritz Carlton <laughs> to me now. Anytime you know, I see a porta party, I feel like I'm gonna living the high life. Um yes, that is true. So I go to court that day and um for some weird reason there was nobody in the cell with me. It was just me. Yeah. And I was like, this is this is kind of cool. But of course I was an emotional wreck. I was getting ready. I had no choice but to sign my my, my life back over to the yeah. system for the next two years. Yeah. Um, but I'm in this room, I'm crying, and I did this like an all-day thing. I was just pacing back and forth, and I was talking to my higher power, and I was just saying, I don't know what I did that day, but whatever it was, I was able to, and I'm so proud of myself, or I was very proud of the time because I made – peace with my my situation yeah i accepted what my family chose Mm -hmm. they rightfully so they have every reason to be hard on me um you know what's two two more years of being locked up i mean this 14 16 what how how bad can it be right right right. um so i was at peace with everything and the day went on and they never called me out so i was like this is I was pissed because I didn't want to go through the court system again. I wanted right. to sign my papers and move on and go to down to prison. Yeah. And um, I was like, you know, probably the judge didn't show up. Maybe he was on vacation. My lawyer, shit, what is she doing? I was so upset. I was so pissed. So, they finally, the guards finally come to get me and they take me back upstairs to my tank. And I go into the tank and I'm sitting there on my bunk. And I'm just like, what is going on here? Just, And then... And then they push the, the they have intercom system. You're in a big tank full of about 50 women in the county, and you have cubbies and, like, bunks. And I um, they, they call your name out over the system in the intercom with the, uh, the guards, and they said, Brandy Ray, pack your shit. You're out of here. And I was like, oh. I mean, I, no, I was so scared because I was in the trustee tank. And it's a privilege to yeah. be in the trustee tank because you get to work and you get to you get extra food and I mean just all kinds yeah. of uh, benefits that you don't get in general population. So I thought somebody had rolled me because there's a way we communicate the inmates to the guards. They're called kites and they're a sheet of paper that you fill out if you want to talk to them or communicate if you have a medical issue, you you fill it out and then they get it and then they respond. Yeah. So, but you're in jail, so people can roll you out. They could have written on behalf of me and said, I didn't want to be in there anymore and put me in the general population. Right. So that's what I thought happened. Um, I packed my stuff and all my my cellies were like, hey, can I have your commissary? You know, can I have your chocolate? And they were trying to take all my food. <laughs> you're going home. I'm like, no, I'm not going home. And I pack my stuff and I, I'm in the vestibule waiting for them to open the doors. And I finally walk out and I pull my mat and all my four months worth of bull crap book stuff and food and jailhouse lawyer, uh, just crap yeah. trash basically. And I was looking for Miss Lynch to my, my guard that was a friend. And I was asking her, you know, what's going on? She goes, girl, throw all that shit. Oh, shoot. Are you still there? <laughs> yeah, still she, said, she said, sorry, girl, throw all that shit away. You're going home. And I said, I mean, like I lost my breath and fell to my knees. My mom and they bonded me out like that. Wow. A complete miracle.
0: <laughs> wow. You're looking at two yeah. years and you spent all that time just coming to peace with the reality that your life was going to be behind bars for two years. Mm-hmm. But then you're waiting. It doesn't happen. And you are now free. You've been bonded out. but
1: I can't I'm- fit into my clothes. <laughs> I put on... 40 or 50 pounds in jail in four months
0: wow the food you know, must be really speed. good there oh yeah well
1: i mean i hadn't eaten 14 years so i needed to put on some weight somewhere oh for sure
0: <laughs> so i'm sure there was strings attached to your parents bailing you out for the last time was it like hey we'll get you out but you've got to go to rehab
1: so the bond was oh so i go outside and i see my mom and my uncle it's my mom's brother yeah and he was actually a bounty hunter and he was a bondsman so oh, he wow. signed my bond nobody in my family signed it he signed it for me he says if you screw up i'm gonna come find you because <laughs> my money because he his name was on the line he wanted right. to pay i don't know what it was. so i and you know i didn't i didn't know that it, it was i was forever gonna change at that point but i it, it was there it was in me i was ready i was i had enough i mean it was I took it out to the bitter—I mean, bitter end. I was so hard-headed and so, you know, um, I didn't listen to anybody, and I was just—they call it a gift of desperation. Yeah, uh, I learned it in AA. You have this little—if you just have a little bitty bit—it's a gift, and it's just—it's desperation to do anything. You're willing to listen to anybody to do anything because you know your way never worked. Yeah. My way never worked, so yeah. I was ready for something new. So, I still had to go to court to get my sentence. I ended up getting probation, and he asked me to go to meetings. But, you know, I met a a lady when I was locked up during that four months, an older lady. She was probably in her 60s, and she'd been, you can tell, on the streets for years. And we would always have heart-to-heart conversations. And I wish I could go back to tell her how she changed my life. I mean, I had been in AA and NA for years. I never paid attention. She's like, if you really, really, really want something like this you can do it you just have to stick with the program so i listened to everything she said she said get a sponsor so as soon as i got out i went to an na group in here in mesquite
2: Mm -hmm.
1: narcotics anonymous and i went every single day sometimes twice a day for the next two and a half years i got a sponsor i started working with the steps and never looked back i mean it, it is a true miracle
0: that's a, that's absolutely incredible, Brandy. That is a hell of a story, and let's we'll get into the running part because I want to I want to hear yeah. about about oh, that. Yeah. I think being hard headed, by the way, is probably a, a great trait to have when it comes to to being an ultra runner. But have you noticed that the way society looks at addicts? You know, I mean, were, did you feel as though your family group or maybe the friends you went to or the community you lived in looked at you differently? as when you were an addict and even afterwards
1: oh yes it was so hard it took years to get the the relationships back is that what you're yeah even with my parents i moved back in with my my mom and dad for a while and my mom was always just i don't know she's just the coolest person i've ever met in my life i mean she never made me feel weird yeah but she was always very like you need to do this you need to do this i mean she's very very like she she put me on the right path, but it was like my dad and my brother. Like it took me years to get those couple years to get the relationships back. They, I always I was I'm probably being paranoid. I don't know if my dad's going to listen to this, but I always felt like he and he had a right to look at me weird. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be trusted. So they were the only ones that I really cared about. And as far as other people in the world, like one thing that they teach us in NA and AA, you only have to change one thing about yourself when you get clean, and that's everything. So all of the people that I was around. They were gone. I mean yeah. I couldn't go back, you know. Right. Um, but I guess when you getting into the work field, that's can be a challenge. It really wasn't for me, but um, I had been through it before. But yeah, you definitely you do get looked at different. Oh yeah. I mean
0: but, when you when you drop the knowledge like, hey guys, I don't know about you, but I've been busted like five or six times. You know, people are like, oh, oh, you're, like, that. like you're full of crap. <laughs> they look at you and go, Oh, you're full of you yeah. you're you're telling stories. But I would think too, the time you spent in this in the in the slammer the clink as they as i've heard it being called you probably saw people in a way that society doesn't view them I, i think since the 1980s america's been on this on this tough on crime orgy and people don't look at addicts and criminals as people they look at them as pictures on the internet to post poor comments about and judge and, mm-hmm. and, and i and I, I really do believe that if you're gonna point fingers at somebody, you got to point them back at yourself because we are all just circumstance or chance or maybe even genetics away from being that person. You are that person if a couple mm-hmm. of different things w- you changed um, in your life. But I'm sure you're in prison and you're seeing these people way differently than society views. the the people we have incarcerated.
1: And I wish that some of those people who do judge, I wish they had 24 hours to see what is actually in there. Because other than, of course, there's going to be drama, there's going to be a lot of fighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It was the most, I have never in my life seen so much talent. Every single night in prison, there was always one person who would start doing like either like a song or rap, there is yeah. so much talent in there, and you're thinking, and you just get chills. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those really crazy music freaks, and yeah. very deep, deep into music. So, and you just have all of these like beats going. I yeah. mean, it is the most amazing thing ever because pretty much everybody's clean. Not yeah. everybody, but right. where I was, it was it, there's, it, and you have people who can drop pictures of you, and I mean, it just the artists, the the music, the singing, the the dance. I mean, it was just it was awesome to see what it's really like in your, yes. so what you're saying is completely right. I, it, it's incredible. <laughs> I believe, and I know again, I'm glorifying prison, but no, I've, but, you know, taking myself pe- out of there, right, but they're people. Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: they're, they're yeah. people, people yeah. have more worth than the worst moments of their life. Right. Right? Like, like I I remember I took my daughter to a Ted talk here, here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. one of the, the the folks talking was uh, someone who created an art um, class for the, the local prison and she would go on death row and then she would teach them poetry and, and painting and that sort of thing. And, and, and someone had did a painting. One of the death row inmates and, and he, he had a quote on that painting that has stuck with me ever since that day. And that was probably six, seven years ago. And and what he said was, I am more than the worst five minutes of my life.
1: Uh, it's, yeah.
0: And, and That's so, sad. yeah. And so, you're right. There's this whole person here. And, and because of poor choices and, and less than a day of whatever, um, that person is now defined by that. By that poor choice, but all of that incredible story and the and the circumstance, and it sounds like you're a person of deep faith, and there was some guiding power of the universe that was like, "Brandy, we're getting you sober, whether you like it or not, and here's the path I've laid out for you." Mm Yeah. At some point, because you were a runner in in high school, and you were you know enough to do five Ks when you were you know in your in your your, yeah in your in your addiction. When did ultra running enter into your world?
1: So shortly after I got out, I, you know, I had a lot of weight on me mm-hmm. and, uh, I thought, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't get high. So I need to find another way to lose some of this weight. Let me go out and run. Um, so I would just leave and go run like 10, 20 minutes. I didn't have a watch. Didn't know anything about that at the time. Um, but what happened was my knees started hurting and it was just because I had too much weight on me. So I would go out and leave the house and walk for like two hours at a time. Yeah. Like, why are you going for so long? I just, it helped me. It cleared my mind. It made me feel better and I couldn't run. So I, I feel like I had to do double the, you know, walking to right. make up. So, I, so when I started running, I uh, just to kind of fast forward it, the next, um, I, uh, did a half marathon and I, then, you know, I did eight of them just like that. Um, I met a, a friend, my friend Alex, here in Dallas. He um, he was one of the first. I have a couple of mentors, a few mentors along the way. Him and Corey were definitely a mentor, and he challenged me to put my name in for the Chicago Marathon for 2014. Yeah, it was a lottery, and I, you know, I, I didn't want to. I wasn't ready. You know, you're never ready, <laughs> right? Right. But I did, and they picked my name, and um, I ran the Chicago Marathon in 2014. But before that, I think what what sparked my mind is. It was either, I don't remember the year exactly, if it was 12 or 13, but there was a Boston Marathon that was going on and Dean Carnassus, which I had no idea who he was at the time, posted something. One of my friends posted it and said he he ran the Boston Marathon and then after he ran it, he ran it in whatever time, he turned around and ran it, ran it backwards. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, what is this? Like, what? Are you, you're kidding me, right? So my friend Corey, the other mentor guy, he says, you know, this this is ultra running, Um you just basically what it is is you you go out to a race. It's kind of like a marathon or a half marathon. But you, you go out there, you run a few miles, you stop at an aid station, you shoot the shit with the volunteers, you refit, <laughs> you, you know, you refuel, you replenish, and you take off. But you do it all day. So just as I started training for my first marathon, he told me that, and I was able to visualize it. And I knew at that moment, that's where my life was headed. Like, that is exactly what I wanted to do. Cause I have this thing in my brain. And when you, I don't, like, I don't have a stop button. So just to go all day. Yeah. And it just, it just looked like something that was in my future.
0: Uh, That was the perfect description of ultra running. You run for a bit, you stop, you shoot the shit with some people, you grab some food, you know, you grab a little bit of water, you're on your way, and then you shoot the shit with other people five miles down the road.
1: Yeah, you do it again, but you keep going and going and going and going. I'm like, this is this is this is where I'm going. So, a few weeks after my first marathon, I I did my first 50k. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never had never run in the trails. It was Big Cedar here in Dallas, Big yeah. Cedar Wilderness 50k. Uh, it had rained for three or four days, so it was just a mud fest. Um, I ended up, uh, it took me eight and a half hours and I think I still got first place because there were, there was like three girls and I think everybody else dropped out. So it's my first (laughs) experience.
0: Hey, if you're, if you're the only girl that finished, you're (laughs) also first.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which I didn't, of course I didn't, none of I didn't even, my watch lasted for like an hour because I had, so anyway, that's, that's where it started with a big cedar, And then after that, um, several months later, I, uh, you know, I love, I love the heat. I love running. I've always, I love to sweat and I love being outside in the summer and running. i yeah. just, it's just something people, are, why do you do these hot races? It's just, my brother is the exact same way. My brother, he's 40, he's uh, four years younger than me and we, he doesn't run, race as much. He's done some half marathons, but we, we try to at least run once a week. He's got, you know, he's married, got two kids and a full life. So I try to run with him once a week at least yeah. But we—it's just something we love to do. It's—it's it's in our blood. Um, but anyway, I uh, signed up for a hundred K that next summer. It's and it's the Habanero Hundred here in here in uh, Texas. Yeah, uh, it starts at noon, um, and it's in August, so it's designed to put you in the most extreme, you know, situation.
0: Sounds absolutely miserable.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, it was life changing. So that's where I caught the the real ultra running bug. I think so and, and i can imagine
0: brandy i can imagine for you you have seen some shit you know you have been through some horrible things i can imagine that for you ultra running when it gets bad you've been to places darker than where you would have been where you have been on the trail
1: you are very right. And I'm glad you reminded me of that. So I'm going to remember that next time I try to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I, for, you know, I forget. Yeah. I, I forget what I've done and where I've been. Cause it's been 10 years and right. everything's been really pretty for 10 years. So I'm thankful that you asked me to be on this. Cause it's made me have to go back and think yeah. like my whole lifetime. I didn't know what you were going to ask me or what, how, which to. I knew pretty much what we were going to discuss. And I've never openly talked about any of this stuff so far in this much depth. I cannot even believe I told you about that one day, but, um, (laughs) it it was, uh, dramatic. So, you know, this is good because, uh, and I know I'm kind of going forward, but you know, I've run, I've run a lot of hundred miles now. I've run eight eight of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, burning river just last month and and I went to do another one back to back one in Again, I'm not trying to say, oh, my God, look how many hundred miles. It just I'm on a path to try to get to bad water. And Habanero is a hot race here in Texas. And mm-hmm. I did it last year right after uh, Burning River. And I just I wanted to do it again. I wanted I wanted to do it. And when I got out there, I i actually DNF'd this year at 50 miles. But uh, my point to saying that is, um What is my point? I think I just lost my train of thought, but it was just the fact that I need to remember when I'm being, I don't usually DNF. I mean, that—and there was nothing wrong with me. My body's in the best shape ever. Yeah. I just mentally got bored. And I said, I I don't want to do this anymore. I I, I want out of this race. Right. And so I'm going to give myself one free pass on that one. I'm going to let it go. But um, I need to go back to remember uh, what I, what I have been through. Because, oh, want to celebrate um, it.
0: I mean to celebrate yeah. where you were and where you are now. I mean it's 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 two different people. Yeah. You even for sure. see it in your eyes in in the, mm-hmm. in the mugshot to the the pre-race mm-hmm. photo at Burning mm-hmm. River you you have a, a life and a spirit in your eyes mm-hmm. in the race photo that you just didn't have in in the mugshot photos. No. And th- yeah, that's just I mean I, I, I'm listening to your story, and I, I can't I know that I would not have the strength that you have. At least I don't think I, I would. I think I'd probably crumble. I'd probably, you know, I, I, I couldn't live the life that you lived and, and be as brave as you are. I mean that's that's incredible and a change. I, I'm always really impressed with people that see see a path that they're going on, recognize it, and then stop and then make the steps necessary to be a better person. Mm -hmm. which you definitely have. Um, The community, what what is it about the ultra running community that keeps keeps you coming back for more?
1: I mean, it's just, you know, and and I do, not just Texas races, Indiana, Ohio, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Arizona, they're all different, but they're all the same. Everybody's there to support you. You know, it is a... I'm a, I'm a loner. I'm, I'm really at heart an introvert. And I do for many years, I've done a, a lot of this training. I do all on my own. Mm. It's only in the last couple of years that I've really started adding, like I'll have a running partner, Stephanie or Karen my, or my brother that I'll actually train with. So for me, y- you can make it to where it's a group thing. And it, the, the community is amazing. I mean, everybody's always so supportive. If you go to a race like an in Indian, I mean, they're like my second family you know, and I've been going for the last, I think three or four years and I'm going back again in in October to pace my friend. Um, it's, it's incredible. It's, um, there's nothing like it. I mean, they take you in like they, you know, and it's not just Indian. It's, it's, it's all of the communities. That's, that's what I've experienced so far. And I'm sure you have to.
0: In spades for sure. But that you talk about for, for a minute when you're going into just the community in general, um, you like to do this stuff on your own. This this is brandy time. Yeah. What is it you think about these long endurance events that require you to be moving for so long? Is is it time for you to is is there a lot of things going on in the mind or are these long runs a chance for you to just kind of put it all out and just enjoy um, some quiet time? I
1: guess I guess every everyone is every Run is there. There's no run that's exactly the same, but the at the root, I run for complete freedom of self to get out of my head, to let it all go, and to you know have peace with myself because I've got all kinds of I'm an I I think I'm an overthinker, and so when I go out there and I do my, you know even like right now I'll do like a three mile run after work sometimes, or sometimes I'll do a lap around the whole lake because I live here on White Rock Lake. Um, and it's a ten pretty much a ten mile loop. Um, just to to let go of everything yeah. um, of all the stress of uh, tell me your other question.
0: <laughs> oh, no, I was just saying like, what why you do the long runs? What do you think it is about those long runs that really just kind of oh,
1: the long run. So yeah. yeah, so it's it's that i I enjoy the training um, mm-hmm. deeply. That's always my favorite part is the training. And you know, you can always figure, figure out problems when you're running right i mean all of the the best ideas come to you when you're running so it's it's a little bit of everything
0: now is there a reason why you preferred early on to be alone and now you're allowing more people into your into your running circle
1: i don't know i think it's just my personality i um uh, i don't I don't know that I have a a complete answer. I think it's just who I am. I love my alone time.
0: You just be like, I'm tired (laughs) of people's shit. I need I need some moments (laughs) where it's just brandy.
1: Yeah, that's the way I've been. You know, I just I don't want to be around people. But then what I've learned in the last couple of years is you also need people. You need you need your friends. I need that run with my brother once a once a week because it's not about how fast we go, then it's it's about catching up. Yeah. Um my friend Stephanie that I met a year ago, she um And we met through a a mutual friend and, you know, all these years of running, I've never, I'm not in a, in a run group or anything. So I never, but I go to a lot of races. So I I never met her and a friend of mine uh, was dating her and, you know, he was posting all of her stuff. Like she did this, she did that. I'm like, I need some of this woman power in my life so i asked her to come to have an arrow with me last year and and pace me and i didn't even know her yeah so she came out and ended up doing the last 50 miles with me wow and so we've been like joined at the hip ever since then we are total opposites but we love to put a lot of miles in and we just get along perfectly so she's like my favorite running partner right now we've been running for about a year and i need that i need her in my life um so um I, i guess i have evolved a little bit mm. from being. I just want to be by myself or alone. Yeah, I've gotten better at at um, reaching out. Yeah, asking people to pace me. I'd rather just go and do a hundred miler on my own without anybody. Right. But over the years, I've added you know people in and asked them to come out. and You know, so you
0: know it is funny that running is a great equalizer. And if, mm-hmm. if like everybody, take a minute who's listening to us and think about your run group. Everyone's got their own group of people they run with. And odds are pretty good that they're a odd mix of people who outside of running would probably never hang around and never encounter each other. People from all walks of life with different political beliefs or different religious beliefs or different backgrounds, different childhoods, all of that. But it's so funny because running makes all of that pointless and worthless. You know, like you don't it's for you're, you're running buddies when you suffer with someone Right, you don't see that person as a them, right? Even if, like, like, like Jeff Stafford and I, I, I love my running buddy and 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 co-host of this podcast from time to time. Jeff Stafford, we have different religious beliefs, we have different political beliefs, but that means absolutely nothing because he is my brother in suffering, and so I
1: don't tra- trauma bonded. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's so it's so great how, especially long distance endurance running with other people Mm -hmm. creates friendships that are just so strong and, and really do go to the core of what friendships and relationships are all about the common things that bond us, not the, the odd things that separate us.
1: Right. That's true. Very, very true. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. you're,
1: You're the, you're the one, you're
0: the one in the running group, like, you know, Brandy brandy's seen some shit you probably got the best stories on those on those those 20 mile training runs like brandy tell us about that one time again
1: i don't want to run anybody off (laughs) (laughs) yeah i do have some good stories uh i I don't remember i used my best friend karen she has to she was you know around she's been around for 30 something years and she has to remind me of a lot of stuff so i'm thankful for her because she can uh she can she can kind of tell me what I did or whatever. So, but
0: you even need to remember. Um, I mean, you are you are an incredible person now, and everything that happened yeah, earlier yeah, in life got true. you to where you are now, which it's is true. A good person. I wouldn't change
2: it. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: Um, Hundred miles. What is it about okay. that distance that you love so much to keep coming back for more?
1: Um, I think I love that it takes me to that dark place. It has me face to face with something so dark and so evil, and I'm gonna do whatever I can to get through it. Yeah. Um, And they're all so different. I'm really learning that. I mean, they are, have you ever run hundred miles? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do you think?
0: You know, (laughs) it's a great distance because speed disappears from the equation. Right. You can have four hour marathoners smoke two and a half hour marathoners in a hundred mile distance because speed is irrelevant and it just becomes perseverance problem solving and for whatever reason i don't know if it's a, if it's something primal about ancient stories or or you know taking you back to a rebirth but that sunrise
1: you know, uh, yes. when
0: you, you start the race, it's generally dark, like the sun comes up and then you run through that day, right? And you tell yourself all day long, like, just get to the night, just get to mm-hmm. the night, just get to the night, run all day long, sun starts going down, you've made it to the night, your headlamp is on, right? And then all night long, you're in <sighs> this darkness, this 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 deep darkness out in the woods where all you see is where your beam of light is, is going and you're there with the sounds and you're there with this, you know, nothingness and you just tell yourself, make it to the sunrise. And when that sun comes up, it is, it's emotional. Mm-hmm. Like I, I am not the type of person Who wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm going to grab my coffee and go watch the sunrise and cry over a sunrise. (laughs) I'm not that guy. It's not what I do. But for whatever reason, in that moment, there is nothing more beautiful than a sunrise during a race because it's almost like you've come out of the darkness
1: into, made the the into the and, hours.
0: right, and you're just about done. Usually, at that point, yeah. you're 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 searching for uh, for the finish line because um, you've had enough. But it is it's almost like you live you live that day of the race, or day and change, or a little less than a day. Just in that present moment, and your job doesn't matter, and your relationship that isn't going well doesn't matter, and your bills don't matter. The only thing that matters. Is this step, and that step, aid station to aid station. And it's, it almost takes you to a more primal existence of all the, all these stresses of modern life disappear for 24 hours or whatever.
1: And that fake dragon that's blowing fire at you, <laughs> trying to come get you at the same time. <laughs> Have you hallucinated? Almost every single time. Really? What was the I best one? Once, I think once I, When I did the Habanero 100, 100K in 2015, my first one was my first time to go through the night, Mm -hmm. and it had been hot all day, of course, and flying snakes. I think once I hallucinated, and this is, I'm a very, I'm still a a very dark person, dark humor, and uh, when I realized that I could hallucinate in trail running and not get high and get put in jail, (laughs) I was in, because it reminded me of the days when I used to hallucinate on, for being up for several days at a time. Right. I love that. I love to hallucinate. And I'm, you know, so that, that was a, a big reason that I wanted to keep going back because the night was my favorite. Of course, I had a problem staying up all night. It's really hard for me to stay up. Mm. I do. I struggle with sleepwalking, but I've gotten really good at sleepwalking through the night. Like, I mean, really good, Yeah. especially if I have a guide in front of me because they let me, anyway, um, so i can um, i'm not a good power hiker and sleeping at the thing but the (laughs) the hallucinations it's awesome the hallucinations are um they they happen all the time sorry
0: you're all right grab some water grabs we're going deep into this stuff brandy
1: it's okay (laughs) it's all
0: right no the hallucinations the best one i've heard is a friend of mine saw musical notes it was, it was like the craziest That's thing. That's nice.
1: Yeah. I Music just, is good.
0: I'll usually see like trees with eyes or something. You know, like you're like, what is that? What is that?
1: So the Indiana Trail 100, 2019, mm-hmm. um, this, I had Frank, he was in front of me, he was pacing me. And I remember he had on some white gloves. It was freezing cold and he was just walking and his white gloves were doing like dances around. And at the same time, there was like a, a mount... Like, if you're in a house and there's a wall, man, there's a, um, a deer. Yeah. And it was coming out to get them. Yeah. Coming out to grab them at the same time. And it looked like he was juggling. So he was juggling. The deer was coming to get him. And then I looked down and there was a huge garage cell right there. <laughs> the foliage at the Indiana Trail is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But at night, it turned into a complete garage cell. And there was, and I didn't have any, I was pissed because I didn't have any money to buy anything. <laughs> so it was crazy. <laughs> It was crazy. And, and they're again, they're, they're like family and they were doing everything they could to help me get through that one. And I, and I made it through, um, but I had had two DNFs there before. So, I mean, and I went back to training camp. I just kept going until I finally got it. Um, and you know, he's now the race director, Nick, but he, you know, he was a, an aid station captain. And I remember I sat down and it was like mile 76 and he was sitting, he was down right here in my, in my face. And he's like, what do you need? What do you need? And I said, I just can't stay awake. And they're like, well, we have some, you know, caffeine pills. So they gave me the pills yeah. and I took off and I started falling asleep. So I really thought that they gave me sleeping pills so I could not finish that race. I mean, I have been through some some dark places and these are my friends that they would never do anything right. like that. I mean, so just just going through all that is, it keeps me coming back. <laughs> it's yeah. Crazy. Where else can
0: you see <laughs> hallucinations of dancing gloves and garage sales?
1: Yeah, yeah, garage sales. That was that was the best. <laughs> I mean, I've I've seen a lot of crap on the trails, uh, dinosaur lots of dinosaurs and like I said, flying snakes, flying cats. Um Oh man, it's it's crazy. So anyway.
0: Wow. Brandy yeah. Ray, what an incredible story. I hope you get into <laughs> bad water. I hope you were able to do that. That'll be fantastic. What a story. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It'll, I 100% know that I'll be there. Um, I just, um, it, I think I qualified in 2019, mm-hmm. but I didn't have the balls to actually uh, apply until this year because I wanted to make sure that I could do a, a, another hot race, which was the Habanero 100 last year. I told him if I could just get through that 100 mile race in that kind of heat in Texas, I know it's different types of heat. It's, we're, 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 we're not dry heat. We're, um, uh, whatever the other heat is. I'm yeah. blanking. But I got through it. So I, I finally applied this year. But you have to... They want you to be part of a support crew there. There's a there's a lot of things. But that yeah. would be... That's the only thing I'm missing. So if anybody's listening next year and they need a support crew, I'm your girl.
0: Brandy, Brandy will hook you <laughs> up. Brandy, hope- what an incredible story. Thank you for... Thank and and I, it sounded like you weren't quite... Maybe you weren't sure if I was going to go that deep into the into the addiction, but we did, and and I think it was just hopefully someone maybe hears this and is inspired to change their life or just to be inspired by your strength because I think if anything, your 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 story speaks to the incredible strength that you have as a person.
1: Thank you very much, and thank you so much for asking me to to do this, to step out of my comfort zone and talk about something that I never talk about. <laughs>
0: What I tell you, inspiring story, adventurejogger.com. You can check out back episodes. There's even gear on the adventurejogger.com. You can check out.
2: Yeah.